Up to this point in the book of Acts, Acts, remember, literally is the actions of the apostles. It's the actions of these first followers of Jesus, the actions of the very first Christians after Jesus had risen from the dead and ascended into heaven and left these followers with a command that they may not have all the answers, but instead they certainly were to be the storytellers. They were to be witnesses, first in their hometown of Jerusalem and then in Judea to their neighbors and, and then even to Samaria, the people you, know, you, don't, you don't really like. And if that weren't enough, they were to be witnesses to the ends of the earth and simply tell the story of what God had done for them through Jesus Christ. And this is the response to that command. This is this first group of Christians, the first things that they believed, the first practices that they held, the first traditions that they began to form are right here. And so as we dig through it, we, we find some things that are from the disciples, the first 12 apostles that that are specific to them, and they're simply descriptive. So they describe amazing things that the disciples and apostles did. But there's some things that are prescriptive, that maybe are specific even to us as followers of Jesus today. If we're looking, maybe, so if you're in this room and you're, you're not a follower of Jesus, that's cool, I'm glad you're here, okay? That you're, you're more than welcome here. And you can kind of sit and listen to like what we try, we think Jesus would do and what we think we should do in following in his footsteps. And there's little things throughout the book of Acts that are prescriptive. Now there's some things that are descriptive and only, only the power of Jesus being shown to the, these 12 apostles uh, can take place. Or we don't have those kinds of things. And, and, and of course you know this, if you've got the gift uh, to heal people, right, then, then, then you know, okay, that's, that's you, all right? But, but maybe if you don't have that gift, you're like me, I, I haven't quite, haven't, haven't ever, you know, exercised that gift. Maybe it'll happen later. I, I've never done it myself. But if you've got that gift, you know it. And you know the parts of this scripture that are for you. But then there's other things, maybe, maybe not. There's other things, though, that you and I humbly and by God's grace can obey and follow and begin to imitate and emulate Jesus and his first followers. And that's exactly what we want to do here in chapter 12. So this good news has gone out to Jerusalem. It began to ruffle some feathers. It began to make a few people angry. And as a result, one man, Stephen, was even put to death. And as a result of Stephen being put to death, these other people fled for their lives. They ran away from Jerusalem, some back to their own hometown, some scattered to another city just to hide from the authorities for their own safety. And yet God used that to keep them obedient to his command to share this good news, the story of Jesus, in other places. And so it has even gone to places outside of this religious group called the Jews, and now we see that it's even gone to people like Gentiles that have been passed on to, if you're like me, some mutts like myself who don't come from a great religious, nice upbringing, right? I don't, I don't have a great lineage. There's, there's some people in my family tree that's got, that have done some prison time, right? And thank God that, that the good news is not just for people who have a perfect pedigree. It's for all people. And so let's read chapter 12, verse 1. As this good news scatters to the nations, Verse 1, it says, About that time, Herod, this is a descendant of the original Herod you would have seen as Herod the Great that, remember, tried to kill baby Jesus even before he was born. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. And he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, these religious people, it says that he proceeded to arrest Peter also. Peter also. 
And this was during the days of unleavened, unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So that Peter was kept in, pre, in prison, but earnest prayer was, excuse me, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Now when Herod was about to bring him out, on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two, sh- two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. And he struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly! And the chains fell off of his hands. And the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and he followed him. And he did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but instead he thought that he was seeing a vision. And when they had passed the first and second guard, they came upon the iron gate leading into the city. And it opened for them of its own accord. And they went out, and they went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. And when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. And recognizing Peter's voice, in her joy she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. And I said to her, you are out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so. And they kept saying, it must be his angel. But Peter continued knocking. And when they opened, they saw him and they were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison, and he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. Now when daylight came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had happened to Peter, or what had become of Peter. And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea, and he spent time there. Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. And they came to him with one accord, and having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace because their country depended upon the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, The voice of God and not of man. But immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory. He was eaten by worms and he breathed his last. But the word of God increased and multiplied. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. So let's summarize a little bit about what we just read. The good news is going out. People are hearing the story of Jesus. And as they hear this story of what Jesus has done for them, it stirs something in them. 
And to hear something about what God has done stirs something in them and even changes what they believe and who they are to their very core. And this causes a great deal of people who are in control to have fear and concern. People who are in power begin to hear things that Jesus is actually the king, that Jesus is actually the one in charge. And it begins to disturb these people. And so I want you to see, first and foremost, in the middle of this story, there's a few things going on, but I want us to see above all else, and we'll dig into this in our time together, that a life was saved. A life was saved because of a group of people meeting together in their home. Don't miss that simple yet key ingredient in this passage. A life was saved because of some people meeting together in a home. Now the big picture, picture of the chapter looks like this. It, it's kind of a story about Herod at the beginning and then a story, like a bookend, about Herod at the end. And if there's a theme that we can see throughout this particular passage, this particular chapter, it would be this. For, for to oppose Jesus might mean danger. But to be on Jesus' side might mean salvation. And that's not just a metaphor. That is literally true in this passage. This, this, little, this little passage here, this chapter, seems to create this own little story in the midst of other chapters that seem to be talking about other things. And in it, the bigger picture is that Herod, who opposed Jesus, didn't have a happy ending to his story. And yet Peter, who faithfully followed Jesus, was set free. So, so begin with Herod. Herod's angry, okay? Herod's got to be angry because one of the things that's taking place is that people are saying, as we saw last week, people are saying about these followers of Jesus that they remind, they remind him of Jesus. Like People would say, oh, that, that, those people and the way they love each other, the generosity that they share, the goodness that they have for one another, and the passion that they have about telling the story to everyone they meet, reminded people of Jesus. And at this place called Antioch, they started calling them Christians for the first time. And it simply means little Christs, Christians, little, little Jesus is running around. That's, that's what they first called these people because what they were doing and the way that they were living reminded them of Jesus. Now that's a little bit disturbing because our friend Herod the king, who would have been probably, by our best guesses, the grandson of Herod the Great, who had a particular run-in with this Jesus when he heard about him and went out of his way to try to kill as many children as he could to keep this Jesus who was prophesied to be the new king of the Jews from ever coming to life. And not only are these people excited about this Jesus, which must have made this guy mad, a resurgence of the thing that his own, probably his grandfather was trying to, to suppress. Uh, not only was that making him mad, but they were beginning to use these words that we start seeing, and a word particularly that we throw around here that means a great deal to us, and that is the word gospel. Now, that, that's a fancy church word. It really just means good news. But there's a reason, there, there's a reason this would have started to anger people. You see, the word gospel, this good news, wasn't original with the Christians. The people following Jesus weren't the first ones to use this word gospel. Instead, it was used by the Roman government. And it was used as a way to send the message of the Roman Empire's victory to the ends of their reign. 
So the Roman Empire, as you remember, maybe from your Western civilization class, or, or maybe you slept through that, I'll, I'll give you the cliff's notes. The Roman Empire kind of had it in their mind, they're going to take over everything they could. And, and as they take over a place, they, instead of kind of really just destroying them, they, they, they use kind of these really intellectual tactics like, hey, we're going to convince you that it's actually a good thing that we're here. Your life's going to be better now that we've killed your king, and, 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 and maybe... Maybe things will be better now that we're in charge. And so when they would spread the good news of their victory, as their, as their army would march through a new area and destroy that army and then become in charge of it, they would tell everyone in, in the entire empire the gospel, the good news of Caesar's victory. The good news that Caesar has come. Your king is now gone and Obviously, you can see this was probably met with mixed emotions. Caesar's here. Your old king is no more. And they would parade him across the empire, all the way back to Rome, as an example of what happens when you oppose this king Caesar. And they would march this defeated king across the empire into Rome. And they would share the good news that the enemy was defeated and now the king Caesar has come. Well, you know what happens next. The Christians start using this word good news. They're not talking about Caesar. You see, the Christians have discovered this good news. And those that were following Jesus now realize that one day Caesar is going to be buried. He's going to be six feet under. If he's lucky, he'll be in a really fancy tomb and they'll fill it with all his cool stuff that maybe a few centuries later someone will steal, just like the Egyptians, the Babylonians. But here's the good news. That Caesar, he's dead. He's gone. But there's this other guy. There's this other guy, and his name is Jesus. And although we may fear death, this Jesus has power over death. This Jesus brings new life. And this Jesus, when He comes and He takes charge... And he removes the other kings in place. When he takes charge, he is not an angry, he is not a tyrannical leader. He is merciful. He is gracious. He is forgiving. He is good. And that, my friends, is incredibly good news. But to come along and tell the Romans that there actually is good news of a new king and it's not Caesar, you can see kind of made some people angry. So angry, in fact, that it seems that Herod went after probably one of the loudest proponents. Probably the person who was speaking the loudest, and I would guess the most argumentatively this good news, was this guy James that loses his life in the first few verses of this chapter. You see, if you roll back to the good news of Jesus, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John tell the story of the followers of Jesus. And there happened to be these two brothers who were the sons of a man named Zebedee. And their names were James and John. And they were known amongst the disciples and amongst most of their friends as the sons of thunder. The idea that every time these two boys got together, something was going on. Thunder. Probably conflict. I mean, if this were my brother, I I don't know how this played out for you in your your relationship to your siblings, if you've ever seen this play out, but there was nothing that was not a competition between my brother and I. Nothing. Even silly things. We raced to we raced to do it first, and if the other one wanted to do it, all of a sudden it was like that's a better idea. I'm going to do it better. And you probably could have seen something like that. I bet here between James and John, 
Because they apparently were outspoken. They apparently were not discreet. They didn't keep that fight at home. And apparently they fought in such a way that everyone knew them as the sons of thunder. And you've got to think that this James probably took his argumentative, competitive personality, and he probably took those personalities, and, and when they were submitted to Jesus, I bet he was the loudest, most obnoxious preacher for Jesus that you ever saw. You've got to think that James and John, from this period on, we see that they become public figures, leaders in this movement. You've you got to think that he, James here was preaching this good news, sharing this good news of what Jesus had done. And you can imagine the good news he was sharing, right? James was saying, look, there's this guy named Jesus, and I betrayed him. I abandoned him. When he needed me most, I was hiding in somebody's house. And when Jesus came back to life, he didn't come to exact revenge upon me. He came to show me that there was new life. And he came to tell me that I was forgiven. And he came to give me a mission that was going to outlast all of our lives. And you've got to think, as he's telling this good news of his walk with Jesus, people like Herod told him pretty loudly to shut his mouth. And if James, a competitive sibling, is anything like me and my sibling, they probably have some problems with authority. And you've got to think that as Herod or any one of his leaders told James to shut their mouths, James probably was simply defiant. And as a result, it says that Herod killed him that he killed him with a sword, which most likely means that he was beheaded. And then look what he did. It says that after James was put to death, Herod saw that it pleased the Jews in verse 3. And then the next thing he does, once he realized that the Jews are pretty excited about it, did you catch the next thing he did? He arrested Peter. One of the other loud proponents of this good news of Jesus, this good news not of Caesar, but the good news that Jesus, the merciful King, has come. And as Peter was probably proclaiming this good news, Herod thought he had an opportunity, and he arrested Peter. And you've, you've got to think, just by the sequence of events here, after he put James to death, Peter's next. So Peter throws him in prison. He throws him into prison, and just to make sure that nothing bad happens, it says that he shackled him to two different guards. Right? Shackled him up to two guards. And then it says he posts sentries and squads, four squads of soldiers to guard this one guy. It doesn't tell us why. Maybe they thought someone would sneak in and kind of like, I don't know, bust him out of prison. Like this is a jailbreak. But it simply tells us that this person was a high-priority prisoner. He was surrounded by guards. And as Peter was kept in prison, I want you to notice verse 5. It says that earnest prayer was made for him to God by the church. Now, now picture just for just a moment what, what it might look like to be the church at this particular time. Uh, up to this point, we, we've been reading in Acts chapter 2, it says that day by day they attended the temple together and then they broke bread in their homes. It says that they partook of food and with glad and generous hearts they were praising God and then they were gaining favor with the people around them. And as a result, this movement got bigger. Chapter 4, verse 31 of the book of Acts, it says that Peter and John were arrested for preaching and then they were released. And, and as soon as they got out, it says that when they got together, they went to a house and it says when they prayed, 
the place where they were praying and were gathered together began to shake as if in an earthquake. And then they were all filled with the presence of the Holy Spirit and they began to speak the Word of God with boldness. And so there's a sense in which the movement that's taking place up to this point is similar to what we're doing. We, we get together on a Sunday, we sing about Jesus all together, but then there's this other facet of their gathering that involves opening up their homes It involves sharing food. It involves praying with one another. And if you and I are going to emulate and imitate the thing that these people began, that started a movement that changed the entire world, I think this might be a place where we ought to take notes. Now it's easy, I think, just to kind of run in here and hang out together on a given Sunday. But but real intimacy, sharing lives with people, that gets messier. Because there's really not a whole lot of time for people to see through you and to see all your flaws and all your failures in the time we spend here, right? If you wanted to, you could put on a mask for, let's say, the hour and 15 minutes that we spend here on a given Sunday. If you wanted to, you could dress up and act like someone else. And and if we didn't know you beforehand, we might believe you and believe anything you told us. But something different happens when you go into someone's house, right? You learn a lot about a person. Now, the tendency to kind of fake it doesn't go away. Even if you come over to my house, we'll say things that don't make any sense, but we'll say them anyway. Well, I'm sorry for the mess. It's what we should say, um, for most people, I think, is like, I'm sorry for the mess. It's always this way. (laughs) Right? Now, that's not actually true for us because my wife runs the show and it, it's, it stays perfectly clean. What I should say is, I'm sorry for the mess. It's me. It's all my fault. If there's anything that's out, if there's a project that's unfinished, it's my fault. But you see that tendency because, because when you let somebody into, their, into your home, now all bets are off because let's say, for instance, there is a mess. Let's say, for instance, there is something maybe you left out that you should have put up. What are they going to think of me? What are they, they going to think about me? They saw the, you know what, they, I, that's the thing that we keep under the rug or the thing that we keep in the basement. They saw it. What are they going to think of us? And there's this kind of tendency to keep that a secret. But notice, this movement was not just a big public show alone, but instead this movement was an intimate sharing of life between people. People who realized that Jesus really was king. And that what other people thought about them no longer mattered. But instead, submitting to and following this Jesus as king and new life, that's what mattered. And so if someone sees my messes, and someone sees my sin, and someone sees my failures, instead of hiding it, Christians are different. We point to the cross. And we say, yeah, I'm a mess. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, you're going to learn things about me that you're not going to like. But isn't it amazing? that Jesus would have laid down his life for a person like me. And you see, Christians are different because we boldly enter into one one another's private space. We boldly invite people into our bubble. 
And we boldly step into someone else's bubble. Not because we think we're special or we think we have the right to do it, but we really believe that Jesus is King. And when He takes over all of our other loyalties that give us fear, that give us the desire for other people's acceptance, they go away when we realize that this King Jesus is good and He has adopted us and He calls us brother and sister. That's good news. You see what happened as a result? These people shared intimately their life together. They started something. And it had actual power. So this next little story you see, Peter, he's chained between two people, right? He's got four squads of soldiers watching him. Did anyone catch the bizarre turn of events here? In the middle of the night, they apparently all by miraculous means, fail at their one job. Can, can you picture this? I love the words that it said. Uh, it says, when they realized this, uh, you know, when, when, they, when they found out what was happening, um, the, the, the words that they use are, are, are really funny. It says in verse 20, Herod was angry, you think? And it says that there was, it was no small deal, as if to kind of point out like, it was, it was kind of a big deal, all right? So, so big of a deal. Did you hear what happened? The people in verse 18, they were a part of this no small disturbance because they failed their one job after Herod found out about them. It says they were ordered to be put to death. I mean, you can picture You had one job, right? Can you hear that speech? I don't know what your boss sounds like, but you had one job. There's one guy. There's one dude. That's it. And when they woke up the next morning, the power of God had completely set him free. Don't miss the powerful picture that's painted for you and me there. Our God has the power by the good news of Jesus to set us free. Like, I, I don't know what seems to hold you captive, but this is a very important metaphor. In fact, it's a recurring theme. You see, some people are slave to other people's approval. And they worship what other people think more than anything else. And there is good news. Jesus gives a more powerful, more valuable, and longer-lasting approval than anyone else. And He gives it freely. And, you, and in fact, not only do you not have to earn it, but to try to earn it would undermine how great of a gift it really is. Some people are slave to to things like finances. Like even right now, maybe that's for some of you, some of you are thinking right now about money. You're thinking about either you don't have enough or you wish you had more. And you really think God put you on, on this earth for this. Maybe you're good at making it. It's really good news. Really, really good news. Jesus can set you free from being ruled by that. And when this king comes in, his accounting practices are a lot more merciful than your bank's. His collection of debits and credits are entirely generous. And He gives so graciously and so abundantly that if I read this Bible right, there's a few times where it says that we actually lose count of how good He is to us. I don't know about you, I can count my bank account pretty easy. It's pretty easy. Like it's, first of all, it's online, but even if it were in dollars, it wouldn't take me that long. Our King Jesus gives so abundantly that we would spend the rest of our lives eternally counting them, giving an account for how good he's been.
Maybe, maybe you're a slave to, to the past. I, maybe you're a slave that, think of it this way, if, if a song comes on the radio and it takes you back to a really terrible time, and you seem to have no control over being transported back to that awful moment in your life, can I tell you something? Jesus has done something that's bigger than anything that's ever happened to you. And he can set you free from the power of whatever has transpired in your life. Because the future that he wants to give to you is infinitely brighter than the past that you and I have endured. You find yourself stuck in a place where you just remember regret and remorse. This King Jesus comes and he wants to give you so much peace and so much joy for the rest of eternity that it will make that terrible thing that changed your life seem like a blink of an eye. This is good news. Because God doesn't just set people like Peter free. God sets people like you and me free so that there is no power in this world that can lord over us anymore. But you see the last thing that happens? It says they leave, and I hope you enjoyed at least a little bit the kind of account where he shows up and knocks on the door because after all, they thought Peter was going to end up like James, right? Their friend James, one of the key leaders, just got either beheaded or stabbed, run through, and, and they're pretty sure Peter was probably going to experience the same thing. And you've got to think they're already in their mind as they're praying, they're already preparing themselves for what they're bound to hear in the next days. You've got to think they're bracing themselves for the bad news that Peter is also dead. And so when Peter knocks on the door, they sent the little girl, the servant girl, to go answer it. Hey, go answer it. Who knows who that's going to be? At this hour, come on. In fact, they might have thought he was probably someone coming to investigate them. They might have had begun to relive the thoughts of what it was like when the soldiers were looking for them as they were hiding when they put Jesus to death. They probably had flashbacks of this moment. So much so that whenever Peter showed up and he really was set free, they didn't believe it. They said, you're out of your mind. I think that's worth mentioning because as I tell you that you can have a new life, that your life can be transformed and you can have a new life that's nothing like the life that you've had and there's more joy in this new life that Jesus gives us than you've ever experienced, I think there's probably some of you in this room, if you're like me, your first response is just like that. You don't know what I've been through, Jonathan. You don't know what I've seen. You don't know what I've done. You're telling me all of that can go away? You probably, as you hear these words, you probably, you probably recognize with them and you, you probably sympathize with them and you're thinking, as I tell you that God can set you free from all of those things, you're thinking, you are outside of your mind. I point that out because that, that's a natural response. That's a natural response. When we see the chain of events, like Peter, that ultimately must lead in death, and we see the chain of events that we ultimately believe will end in bad news for us, and someone comes along and says, no, Jesus wants to change it, our first response is probably like these people. you got to be kidding me. It's not possible. But notice who really ends up paying for this. Notice who really ends up bearing the brunt of this. And there's this weird story that, uh, again, this is one of those descriptive stories that I don't think, I don't know if this is going to happen. I don't know that you really should start praying for it at all. Um, I don't know that you're in a place or I'm in a place to do it, but did you catch what happened to Herod, the guy that threw Peter in jail and then killed the prisoners that let him go, right? 
Herod stands up and he begins to seek glory for himself because after all, he's regaining power and approval. Do you remember, did you catch his idol at the beginning? Just, just so, you know, what was he really excited about at the beginning when he killed James? The approval of people. Just want to throw that out there if you're like me and maybe you really worship the approval of people. This is a really good story in which that ends badly every time. And so when he got the approval of his people, he stood up and it says that he was angry that, that people were, were still, uh, were still you know, kind of rebelling against him. He was angry that all of these people didn't love and honor and follow him. And, and so he stood up on this special day. He got dressed up and you, you imagine he looked really good. It says he sat on the throne. He began to deliver an oratory like he, he had developed a speech. And, and the people were so impressed. Oh, this is the voice of God. This is not even a human anymore. He is so awesome. And as if that weren't enough, God did something amazing. God simply put him to death. Now, this was written by one of the followers of Jesus, Luke, and you can kind of hear his own tone. Did you catch that? He was eaten by worms, and he breathed his last. I don't know if that's a literal, actual thing that happened, but it sure sounds cool. And you begin to see the picture of, of what God is doing, that to cling to Jesus may mean being set free from the things that hold us. But to oppose Jesus... I'm not saying you're going to die. I'm not saying you're going to be eaten by worms immediately if you don't receive this good news of Jesus. But, but make no mistake about the thing that made Herod angry. This Jesus is king. He's a good, he's a merciful king. But he's a just. He's a just and righteous king. And to oppose the king, to oppose the king has a word. And treason is punishable by death. Now there is good news. Our king is merciful. Our king is slow to anger. Our king is abundant in patience. Our king is showing us perfect love and mercy every day by giving us breath in our lungs and giving us more chances than we deserve. But don't miss what happened to this guy. There is a real and eternal punishment for those of us who do not recognize the power and majesty of this King Jesus. And Jesus will get the glory. He will either get the glory by displaying His patience over your life and mine forever and ever. And He'll get the glory by displaying His mercy over people like me for eternity. Or He will get the glory by displaying His wrath as justice over people for eternity. This Jesus is king. In the midst of that, I want you to see the amazing thing that God does. God saved a man by some people meeting together in their home. God heard the prayers of these people small group. We don't know how big they were. We don't know how big the house was, but apparently it was big enough to have an outer gate. So maybe, maybe it was a larger group. Maybe there was, you know, 10, 20, 30 people gathered in the home. But because of this prayer, because of this kind of fellowship, God did something amazing and it saved a man's life and it set him free. A life was saved by the meeting of these people in their own home. 
So here's the practical application. I, I have a tendency to be abstract and, and kind of teach the principles and metaphors of God's Word, and, and, and I struggle. I'm never as good as I ought to be at being practical. But here's the way I think this might play out in the next couple of months, and, and we'll wrap up with this and really pray for this. So, so over the summer, we've been having fellowship time together, um, but we'll resume what we had last spring, and, and, and after Labor Day, we're going to get together and, and start to uh, meet in our homes again. We'll meet on a regular basis. We'll have our connection groups get together and it's a place where we as a small group get together and we talk about the good news of Jesus as it's as it's applying to our lives we're connecting to the gospel we're connecting to the mission of God and we're connecting to one another we're loving one another and we're we're digging into those four pillows of pillars of the first pillows <laughs> uh, that too I mean that's probably in there somewhere the four pillars of this this the first church remember what they were the first four things that these Christians devoted themselves to they devoted themselves to fellowship to breaking of bread and they devoted themselves to prayer and I've gone blank. What did I say? I did it out of order. Prayer, fellowship, breaking of bread, and teaching of the apostles. Those are the four pillows. Right? And, and that's what we want to do in a very practical and real way. When we get together, we, we resist the temptation to only talk about football or, or our kids, even though those are awesome things to talk about. Those are things we may or may not have in common, and we can have banter back and forth over them, but, but ultimately the teaching of the apostles, the good news of who Jesus is, the fellowship that we share with one another that's more than just living at the superficial level, the, the prayer for one another, we lay our burdens and carry them together one another with one another in prayer. And of course my favorite, you know this, food. It really is something that we celebrate. We do that together. We begin to do it in one another's homes. We'll do this after Labor Day. We'll, we'll kick this back off. And so, so as we're, I know that seems like a long way off maybe for some of you, or maybe it seems like tomorrow. What if we took this particular example, and what if we applied it to the thing we want to do together beginning in September? What if as we resume our small groups meeting in, during the week, what if we took this example and began to apply that to the times we get together? Isn't that, that thing that just happened in this chapter in which the king dies and a guy gets set out of prison, isn't that bigger than what happens typically when we get together and hang out together at our homes? Right? Here's what I'm praying for. I hope you and I become disgusted and intolerant of superficial, meaningless relationships. I hope we get sick and tired of just feeling obligated to be friends with the people around us. Instead, I hope we begin to get a picture of what God is doing and what he does when a few people get together in a home and realize that God can save lives as a result. I hope you and I become, we become disgusted. We have like, like a sick taste in our mouth anytime we share a superficial relationship with the people around us. And I hope that faking it, when, when, we, when we put a mask on and we don't want the people around us to know our own fears. We don't want them to know our failures. We don't want them to know our sin. I hope that begins to leave us sleepless and restless until God rips off the mask and shows us that there's mercy when we become honest with the people around us and there is grace that can be shared amongst us. Isn't that bigger? Isn't that bigger than what happened the last time you had dinner at somebody's house? That's my prayer people we know right now who are living in bondage, they are bound to things that as we get together, we would realize that Jesus can set them free.
I want to close with a thought. It's from a hymn by Charles Wesley. And this is a verse that he wrote inspired by this passage. Long, a long time. Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and in nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray, and I woke, and the dungeon flamed with light. Oh, that we would say these words. My chains fell off, and my heart was free, and I rose, I went forth, and I followed thee. My chains fell off, my heart was free, I rose and went forth and followed thee. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? Let's pray. Thank you, God, uh, so much for this story. Uh, Thank you so much for uh, this picture that you've painted of what the church might look like. Uh, We thank you so much uh, that you not only set people like Peter free, But even in the midst of great tragedy like losing someone like James, your will is done and your good news begins to transform hearts and lives. We thank you that's possible. We pray that that would begin to take place in our midst. God, we want to devote ourselves to this good news. Uh, We want to commit ourselves to hearing it, to sharing it, to singing about it, to proclaiming it to the people we know. Because in the end, it's too good to keep a secret. And we thank you that there's truth in these words, that that you could possibly start a movement like the one you began with this small group of people by taking us, taking our homes, and beginning to open them up so that all that would come in and out of them would hear the power of Jesus and the good news of what he has accomplished. God, we confess that we've we've settled for less. (laughs) We've settled... God, we've settled for less. We've settled for friendships and relationships that, uh, that don't glorify you. Uh, we've, settled for, uh, we've settled for opportunities that we've passed up instead of encouraging and building one another up. We, uh, we've settled for the next best shallow thing. God, help us to, to continue to love the people around us, but help us to not settle for anything less than the good news that sets people free. God, if there's someone in this room that hasn't been set free, if right now they feel enslaved to it and they feel like this good news of Jesus isn't for them and and we're outside of our minds to say that it is, if that that seems to be the doubt in their heart, would you begin to stir in them this truth that that God can save them? God, you you can turn their lives around. You can grant them new life. And whatever chains that hold them from the past or chains of fear for the future, you can set them free from them. You can break them loose. And by the power of this good news of Jesus, man, you can give them new life. Life of freedom. Freedom from bondage. So help us to give you glory in our lives because of this. Help us to praise you because of this. Help us to respond obediently. And as we take up this offering, help us to respond obediently. If there's, if there's a way that we need to maybe lay, lay one of these things at your feet in prayer, would help us to boldly request that prayer. If there's a way that we need to respond, and maybe it's to follow you faithfully, maybe for the first time to, to hear that good news and let the light come into the dungeon of our hearts and be set free. Maybe that is the response that we need to have. Maybe it's simply to make this public. So I, I want to be baptized. I want to I identify with Jesus and his death and resurrection. 
and pray that you would begin to help us to respond obediently as the ushers come forward. In Jesus' name, amen.